Good afternoon and welcome to another podcast with the Free Speech Union. My name is Jonathan. I am part of the team here and today we are sitting down for another episode of our Life Out Loud podcast. This is where we just sit down and consider the events that have happened over the past week in the free speech space. It seems like we are never running out of material of issues that we are coming across and opposition that is emerging to free speech and and that's really why an organization like like ours exists. So today we're sitting down with um, Free Speech Council member David Cuman from the University of Auckland and Daphna Whitmore. It's great to have you guys with us today. Nice to be here. Yeah, lovely. Thanks, Jonathan. So we're going to kick off with uh, the newsletter that we sent around at the beginning of this week. And we, you know, we were keeping our members up to date with the work we were doing on NetSafe. So uh, not repeating ourselves too much here. We did an episode on this last week. NetSafe were doing a draft code uh, on online safety and harm. And looking at it uh, kind of at a cursory level, um, you know, none of us want online harm. That's it's, it's pretty clear. And so for a lot of people, they weren't really sure why we might uh, be opposing a code like this. But below the surface there, when digital platforms have the opportunity to define things like hate speech or misinformation or disinformation and, and putting penalties in place there, really we're giving a big step to anyone who wants to shut down conversation. And, and that's why uh, we ran a campaign around this. Daphne, I wonder if we can start with you. I, mean, I admit, yeah, it's the wild west out there. We've got relatively new technology and it'll take time for things to settle and sort out um, you know, a good environment. But really what's being proposed is that tech giants are going to get more power. So I don't see how that's going to help anything. Mm, so, mm. And the focus is, uh, well, they'll have the power to suppress things that are legal. That, that's totally unprecedented, isn't it? Mm. Um, then there's a the whole issue of, uh, you know, the very vague and subjective terms which um, this power will be around harmful content. And um, I think, you know, in last week's discussion, Stephen Franks was pointing out how, how free speech does cause harm. You know, when you expose wrongdoing, um, some parties are going to be harmed in that exposure. And there's no way you can avoid harm. So why why give a big stick to the tech giants to, to wield against ordinary people? Really what you're saying there is transparency sometimes reveals things that we don't like, doesn't it? You know, so it, it, it can cause harm there. But, you know, to be really clear to any of our listeners, we're not talking about, you know, things that are already illegal or objectively harmful, like uh, child pornography or, or um, malicious, violent content or that kind of thing. Of course, that's beyond the pale, but we're really just talking about the right of people to express their opinions. David, you work in a context in, in the academic environment where you are really policy orientated. You're looking at the details of these things. And, and from my perspective, um, the, the the online regulation space is one of the most challenging uh public policy questions that we're really considering at the moment. There really are no obvious solutions. But what were your biggest concerns about the way that the, the code was drafted? Yeah, look, I, th- I, I echo everything that's been said before. Of course, to me, the, the um, it's that merging of uh, social media companies that really have a massive influence um, and, most importantly, a history of 
dubious misconduct, shall we That's say, right. in, yep. in what views they already um, somewhat censor or shadow ban people or drop off followers and the algorithms that take care of things seem to do it and in what many people have seen as a, as a biased um, approach in, in a lot of different fields. And and now we're, we're inviting essentially the government um, or a quango of the government, at least initially, uh, to to give them that an, an imprimatur of authority to do such things um, without recourse. In fact, it would be encouraged for them um, to stand up. And all they have to do then is, is point to the, the code and say, we're just following what's written down there. Um, I think it's, uh, Stephen Franks used the word collusion, and I think that's the perfect way of looking at this. Um, yeah. In an ideal world, um, one of two things would happen. One, there would be a completely free speech platform, and um, it should be no surprise that we're seeing um, a number of alternatives to Facebook and Twitter pop up, um, uh, albeit with limited popularity at the moment. Um, but the other alternative, of course, is companies just come uh, be honest and open about their biases. Uh, you know, if they say we, we're not going to create certain political viewpoints, we're going to be a, a club only for people that think X, Y, and Z on these issues, um, yes, it's apparent. But to, to give an air freedom about actual freedoms is the worst of all. Well, and at that point, you're really going in with your eyes wide open, aren't you, to, to the biases that would exist. And, and certainly there are many environments where we don't expect both sides of the story to be given a free go. And, uh, and that, that's absolutely fine. But but you need people to be open about that fact. We're going to um, also discuss with you, David, there the... Um, the academic brochure that we sent around, uh, you know, whether it's um, the Public Service Association, the the uh, tertiary union, the, the um, PPTA, we see these unions that exist in different workplaces, but a lot of them don't really seem to be picking up on the cases that, that are obviously out there around people being shut down for their speech. And so, um, well, well, we say good work for everything that uh, these other unions are doing. Really, there is a need at the moment for someone to stand up and say, hey, your speech is your business. It, it, you have a right to express yourself personally. And as long as it's not, not to do with your work, you're not representing them in any capacity, really, um, we should be free to hold our conscience and, and our opinions. So um, we've released this academic brochure that's outlining for uh, students and staff members at universities the way that we can provide uh, support and protection for them around their speech. In the context that you exist in, what, where, are these, um, where are these issues coming from? Who's trying to shut down the speech of lecturers and why is there a need for support around this? So we've we've seen we've seen a number of cases overseas, most notably in the United States, of um, either teaching assistants or lecturers uh, um, effectively being fired. Um, uh, some of them have had mobs come after them with threats yeah. of violence uh, for the views that they've had. Uh, fortunately, it hasn't um, got that bad here, but uh, the signs are not great. And the Raymond Richards case, I think, is is an excellent one. Um, exactly. Uh, here's a guy who's who's teaching. Uh, history in a scientific way and um, and telling the class that people who believe uh, in imaginary beings and ghosts and, and having views like that are, are wrong. Um, and the university effectively told him he wasn't allowed to do it. Uh, and it's deeply disappointing that the TEU, the Tertiary Education Union, uh, didn't come to his defence. Uh, and it's deeply disappointing that when the uh, esteemed scientists that penned the letter to the listener uh, had it published that the TEU was one of the groups that came out and attacked them for it. Uh, it's 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 a deeply disturbing trend, and I mean, I 
I don't want to say I told you so because I don't. But in 2017, Paul Moon um, gathered together a group of people uh, and I was tapped on the shoulder to join a, an open letter to effectively warn against the silencing of dissenting uh, or unpopular views on campus. And that was four years ago and things haven't really got any better. Uh, and so I think the Free Speech Union is playing an important role on campus as it is outside of campus. Uh, and if people, staff members or students, uh, have any inkling that any of their thoughts may be uh, dissenting or unpopular, which they should be, by the way, on a campus, um, uh, then I think there should be comfort in joining the union and, and knowing that uh, there will be someone in their corner to box with them. Well, and really what you're, uh, what you're referencing there is the fact that a liberal education is about exposing students to alternative perspectives and, and, and necessarily competing worldviews. And, and for, for staff, it's about researching and engaging and exploring and challenging the status quo. It, it, it seems um, totally incongruous that, that uh, the university of places would be engaging in space like this. Daphne, have you have you had any um, experiences in this kind of environment? I have. I um I, I have a, a union background, so I worked for Unite Union for five years back in the early 2000s. And I'm, I'm very disappointed to see that none of the um, mainstream trade unions are speaking up for free speech, actually. It is it's almost as if censorship is back in fashion. Um, mm. There was a time when university students would demonstrate against censorship, and you know there were big battles in the past around those things. It's ironically, it's the hundredth anniversary of the banning um, of Ulysses. That was nineteen twenty-two, and Lady Chatterley's Lover, and uh, all around the nineteen twenties. And you know, by the time the sort of fifties had ended, and there was the sixties and seventies, uh, movement was really about having a clash of ideas and not calling on the state and big companies to um, censor people. So, yeah, yeah. unfortunately, the, the, the social pendulum has swung in that direction. Uh, well, and that, that's that's right, a point we constantly try and make, and I think we see it even just in this conversation today, is that free speech is not a left-right issue over even just you know, recent decades, we have seen that pendulum shift back and forth around whether whether it's on the right, whether it's on the left. Unfortunately, both sides of the political spectrum at times have tried to shut down discussions to exclude debate. Um, and and, and uh, the other side has, has stood in its defence. And, and now we see um, there's a need for both sides to really insist that these open discussions are able to occur. But it, what, what uh, makes me um, smile with, just with what you're talking about there with Ulysses, uh, uh, Daphne is is this concept of the Streisand effect, right? That when, mm. when you when you try and block something, not only is it harmful our, for our discovery of knowledge or, or harmful the inclusion of different perspectives, it's actually just fundamentally ineffective as well. And and you know uh, this this Matoranga Maori issue that we've seen really play out uh, in the uh, in the university context with the freedom of ac uh, freedom of academic thought. Um, you know how many people would have read a little. Editor to the uh, letter to the editor for the for the listener magazine. It, it really it would have been, remained relatively obscure unless they had tried to shut it down in the way they did, and it turned into an international story because people tried to censor it. Absolutely, yeah, it, it does. It does well, have I, that effect, doesn't it? It it totally does, and there's there's a lot of very lamentable aspects to this. I think the international attention that it got um, is is one of the positives, um, to be frank. Um, but I, I actually think that that international attention would have come uh, at a later stage had it not been about this letter. 
um, the fact that the, the letter was pointing out a very real issue um, that we need to have a serious discussion about. Um, and it's, it's one that I, I have a, a personal vested interest in because um, while my daughter is only two years old, uh, school is something on my mind. And mm. having a look at the proposed curriculum where chemistry and biology classes will be um, taught with uh, uh, taught to students that rocks have a life force, uh, I think is something that we should all be deeply concerned about. Um, yeah. And, and that's, you know, to... To anyone that wants to reach out and call me a racist for saying that, um, I think the, the listener letter also made the very good point that there's a place for Mataranga Māori, and I think there's a very important place for Mataranga Māori. Um, I, I agree with the listener letter that it shouldn't be in the science classroom as much as religion shouldn't be in the science classroom. Um, and I think that the, the reason that there's been such a backlash to the letter um, is exactly what we were talking about before. This is not a left-right issue. This is a tolerant-intolerant issue. Mm, um, mm. And those that are intolerant of any other views that, that might challenge their standing or their ideology or their perspectives uh, will seek to shut it down as quickly as possible. Uh, and the only other thing that I, I think I should add to this is, is my deepest respect to Graham Adams for the work that he's done. Um, he's written some excellent articles covering this, uh, and I... Um, I think we have them on our website um, and links to them, and I encourage everyone to go and have a read. That's right, yeah. A true journalist, the investigative work he's done there is fantastic. Now, uh, just picking on, up on that comment there that you've made there, David, around tolerance, um, you know, that, that's the essence of free speech, isn't it? And, and we've seen uh, a bastardization, if I can say that, of that term, of what really being tolerant means. It certainly does not predicate that that we agree with one another, but it is to accept that whether we agree or not, someone else has a right to their view. And, um, and, and that's very humbling. You know, something we've discussed on a number of occasions on this podcast is the fact that a free speech is a, is a humble affair. It, it's to admit that there are many things that we do not know. And of course, we all believe we're right. Uh, you know, none of us operate out of a basis where we think we are incorrect, but we can hold that a little, um, not quite so tightly, perhaps, than insisting that we are the only ones that could be right. And, and just with that in mind, Daphne, I, I would love to hear your thoughts about uh, another item that we addressed in that newsletter there, which is um, the fact that David Seymour is going to be our first speakeasy guest uh, for the year. Daphne, from your background, David isn't someone who you would necessarily uh, have much in common with at times. No, no, I think um, really a large part of the work that David Seymour has been doing in the last couple of years has been championing free speech. And I I haven't really picked up so much on his um, economic policies, which I haven't really heard so much about of late. But he definitely has been um, the one who's proposing that we we fight for free speech protections and so that's that's very encouraging. I found his speech very interesting. Um, there were plenty of aspects to it that I could relate to, actually. I think one of the things he does is he points out that people have the right to work. And this is something that's, of course, been curtailed for many people with the COVID lockdowns and restrictions. So I think interesting that he's willing to look at sort of social costs of lockdowns um, Things like children missing out on schools, medical procedures, childhood immunizations getting behind, um, cancer screening. So he's sort of taken a more all-round look at things like, you know, what's the impact? And from my perspective, I'm always thinking, you know, what's the impact on the working class? It seems that they've really uh, borne a lot of the brunt of this um, last year or two. 
when mm. the government's, you know, focused on one issue fairly solidly. So this speech that you're referring to there was the State of the Nation address that he made uh, yesterday. And, and I'm just going to read a quote from something that he said that's really pertinent to our work here at the Free Speech Union. He said, people need to communicate to be human. Societies need to discuss their differences to move past them. Labour's straitjacket of conformity is the biggest threat to the long-term health of our communities. Its hate speech laws are the legislative conclusion of a culture that suppresses the human spirit. And I just thought he articulated that really well. You know, for each of us here, there will be perhaps things that we agree with or disagree with with David Seymour and his political stances. That's really by the by. But this notion that actually conversation and communication and, and, and just an ability to dialogue together is what brings our societies closer and, and unifies us. And I think this is this is the opposite of what a lot of people are claiming. They say that we need hate speech because unless we shut down people's opinions, unless we exclude certain perspectives, we're going to get pushed further and further apart. And, and it's really a contradictory um, view on the matter. David, what are your thoughts on uh, Seymour's comments there? Uh, regardless of whatever else you might agree or disagree with David Seymour's policies, I think um, he's hit the nail on the head with this. And um, he's been one of the few standout politicians speaking up for freedom of speech. Uh, certainly ACT as a party has done some very good work in this area and their um, proposed bill for academic freedom or, or freedom of speech on, on university campuses, I think is um, unfortunately a uh, another useful tool um, at this time that might be needed. Uh, Moving away from David Seymour, though, um, and I'm fascinated to hear what he has to say uh, on the podcast. I'll be tuning in for sure. But I think we have a a broader issue here, and that is twofold. One is, um, where are the other parties? Why why is the traditional left not standing up for traditional values of tolerance and openness and respect and free speech? uh, I don't know, uh, uh, Daphne, if you've got any thoughts about how we might salvage some of that. Um, but also, you know, where where is the National Party as ostensibly mm. the larger yes. opposition um, in, in really picking at this, what I would perceive as low-hanging fruit, um, that, you know, regardless of economic policies, regardless of anything else going on, you would think that this would be a, a very easy thing to cut through uh, to voters. So um, I think there's wider questions there. The other The other point, of course, is... Um, you know, it, it, there's always a debate as to whether politics follows culture or culture follows politics. Um, in, in my typical fashion, I have a, a, <laughs> a dollar each way, but um, <laughs> but I think but I think it really is important as well that um, the cultural shifts start to happen outside of politics uh, too. Um, and so, while our political leaders, um, only some of them might be leading that, uh, I think we have a role to play in, in encouraging citizens to express their views and. Um, I'm very proud to be associated with the Free Speech Union um, with the work that we've done in, in lobbying and submissions and petitions, et cetera, um, and just thank everyone for their support in that. Mm. No, that's a great plug there, David. You know, it is, it is worth noting, just going back to that first uh, item that we addressed there with the uh, NetSafe submissions, we, over 4,000 of our members took time to submit to NetSafe and the vast majority of the submissions that have been made on that code are from our members. And, and in terms of uh, the, the discussion we're having around academic freedom, more and more we have people reaching out to us going, I don't feel safe on my uh, university campus to speak my mind. What can we do about this? And so, you know, while the, the opposition to free speech may seem to be really evident at the moment, and like you say, 
say, you know, unfortunately, maybe we do need a bill in Parliament that requires academic freedom of our universities. It would be great if we didn't even need that as a, as a law, but that may be what we need in this time. But, you know, while there are, is opposition that's coming out against free speech, a lot of people are saying, this is the foundation of our, of our values. This is the foundation of our human rights. And without this, whether it's uh, freedom of the press, whether it's freedom of academic inquiry, whether it's freedom of religion, it's something that is dear to many people's different to hearts, um, that's actually all founded on a right to disagree and a right to live in disagreement tolerantly. And so I think uh, it's going to be a really interesting conversation that we have with David Seymour. Uh, whether you agree with him or not, come along to that uh, speech. This is a members-only event, so we really encourage you to sign up and support the work of the Free Speech Union, and then you'll also have access to these regular events that we hold uh, with really prominent individuals. But for now, guys, hey, thanks very much for your time. Always great to chat through uh, the work that we're doing. And hopefully for our listeners, this is something that is uh, encouraging for you guys to as we continue to, to stand in this space. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Free Speech Union podcast. If you would like to learn more about us or find out how you can get involved or support, you can head on over to fsu.nz or check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Ka kite anō.